Without further ado, I will introduce Sarah, our community pastor, who's speaking this morning. Uh, she's going to continue on in a series that we've had for the last, oh, it's been a few weeks now, a series called Faith Misunderstood. Faith Misunderstood, where we've been looking at items and approaches and thoughts about faith that are misunderstandings and can lead us in the wrong direction. And so Sarah continues today. Let's welcome Yay. Sarah. Hello. So happy to see you. This feels kind of like a cozy, intimate gathering today, and I like that. Uh, so yeah, John said, you know, my name is Sarah. I'm really happy to be sharing with you today, continuing on this series that we've been a part of, Faith Misunderstood. And today, specifically, I wanted to talk about how we approach spiritual growth at the river. This topic comes up a lot in staff meetings. We spend a lot of time thinking about this. What are the ways that we as pastors and leaders help you grow? What, how does this approach different from, is it different from other churches? What are some misunderstandings of what actually help people grow? Now, before we get too far into it, I'm going to go right to the spoiler. And I'm going to tell you what our approach is not. It's not about getting people to the right answers. It's not about being directive. It's not getting people on a predetermined course. And it's not challenging people to do the right thing. Do I have your attention? Have I whet your appetite? We're going to circle back to that. But first, I'd like to tell you some stories. This past week was a milestone in our family. Our oldest son, Zach, got his PhD. Yay! We're so excited and proud of him, and we drove to Boston to be a part of the ceremony. And during that drive, I had a lot of time to think about this topic. And I started thinking about my little family that's now grown up, my parents, my siblings, my extended family, and also about the people in my life who provided guidance and leadership along the way. What were the ways that people have led me? What helped me? And what backfired? Well, I'll tell you a story about that. I, when I was in high school, our church hired a new youth group leader to help lead the youth group. And this was in the 1970s. And she was really cool. She wore leather sandals and long skirts. She had long, flowy, blonde hair. And she had a boyfriend who was a musician, and he looked like Peter Frampton. <laughs> we met once a week in a room in the church that was wallpapered to look like you were in a forest. And we sat on these tan couches that looked like the couches they had in my favorite TV show, Bob Newhart. And as we sat there, we would sit in a circle 
And often we would read a Bible passage. And the way that it works is one person would read a verse and then it would go to the next person and the next person until the whole passage had been read. And the time that stands out most to me was when we were reading Matthew 10. Now, that doesn't stand out to me because I love Matthew 10. It stands out to me because something very bizarre happened. As we were reading the passage, one verse at a time, an unknown character popped into the story, and his name was Denny. Denny. Jesus kept talking about Denny. Denny this and Denny that. And we were all pretty baffled. Who is this Denny and where did he come from? Now, it wasn't until later, during the discussion of the passage, that we realized Denny was not in the story. We were mispronouncing the word deny. If you deny your father before heaven, I will deny you. Okay, so the mystery of Denny was solved. And then, trying to get us back on focus after we were all, <laughs> Denny, she turned serious, and she asked us a question about what this meant in our lives. And I can't remember exactly what the question was. I only remember that there was only one answer. The answer that would prove me to be a Christian. And I felt such tension with it because I don't know if I really believed that answer. But if I said something different, I'd be on the outside. And I felt so separated and so alone. Am I the only one that doesn't want to just accept this answer? Then I remember another time in my life. I had some family that were really trying hard to lead me into God things. And I think they found me a very frustrating person to lead. They would try to get me to be more Christian-y by quoting Bible verses and speaking on God's behalf in ways and tones that made me feel shameful and guilty so that I would see my wicked ways and change. This happened one day while I was shopping with my extended family. We were at South Coast Plaza, which is a big mall in Southern California. We were in my favorite store there, Nordstrom's Department Store. And one day, while shopping, my extended family member literally chased me around the jewelry counter, quoting Bible verses at me. And when she realized that I was not responding to her, I was like running away from her, she got more desperate and started speaking tongues at me while chasing me around the earring section. <laughs> I remember the look on the sales clerk face. <laughs> I felt that way too. And what started this whole thing was that she noticed I was wearing a button that I had gotten from a concert from my favorite band. And she felt like the symbol on that button was demonic and that if I didn't take it off, I would go to hell. And so she was desperate to save my soul. Now, let me say I didn't respond to her the way she was hoping. And our relationship was permanently damaged that day. And you might be wondering, 
What was that symbol you were wearing? What was on the button? Well, it was the image of a scorpion. It was the album cover for a popular band at the time named Journey. A really crazy band. <laughs> so there's more stories of people trying to lead me in my life. I've been in religious meetings and I, where I felt this pressure to respond to a message in a very specific way and that I would be on the outside of the spiritual in-crowd if I didn't. I remember one time when a pastor, out of his desire to help people connect to God, he told the audience, stand up right now if you want more God in your life. Now, I understand his intent, his heart, what he was trying to do, but that way of leading didn't work for me because I felt like I didn't have a way to make an authentic choice. Stand up if you want more God didn't seem like a real choice. It felt like no choice at all. Stand up if you want God, remain seated if you don't and want to burn in hell, or, you know, whatever the, I felt like that no choice was. And that frustrated me. And it made me wonder, am I the only one who feels this way? And then that made me wonder if I just wasn't cut out for a spiritual life. I've been in church settings where the worship leader is leading songs and trying to lead people into a deeper worship experience. But sometimes instead of feeling a freedom to respond to God, I felt a pressure to respond to God their way. And for me, that brings out my rebellious side. So there have been many times when I felt like a rebel, especially in a religious setting. My skin crawling when I felt there's no room for questions, or I've been told to express myself in certain ways, or demonstrate my love for God by responding with specific actions. And when this tension would come up, I'd feel flawed, too stubborn, too picky, too hard-hearted, or maybe I just don't love God enough. And these things caused me to distance myself from church. And when I did that, I felt like an outsider. And I think that happens to a lot of people all the time. And it makes me so sad. Because we're missing out on the goodness of what church community is. Instead of an atmosphere of encouragement and hope, it can sometimes be a place where we feel alienated and distant from God. And I think that's so tragic. So as a result of these experiences, I also distanced myself from pastoral work, the title of pastor, the job description of pastor, did not appeal to me. I felt like it was radically different than who I was. I felt like it would be disingenuous to become a pastor, to have a pastoral role, because I was sure it didn't fit my temperament and my wiring. Because I had become, I'd started to believe that the role of a pastor was to lead people by identifying challenges, by identifying and challenging people's attitudes and behaviors that didn't fit within the Christian faith and then lead them 
to a predetermined place. One that the pastor would come up with that relied on their knowledge of God and the Bible. This was the spiritual model I saw in leadership throughout my life, mostly. And I know many people who feel like they've benefited from that, but I didn't. But in the mix of life, I also experienced what for me was life-giving leadership. And I began to discover there were two things that encouraged me to get to know more about Jesus. The first was feeling like I had space to interact with God and notice his presence in my life in a way that felt natural to me. And the second was having the freedom to choose how to respond to him. Having the freedom to respond to God and to pursue him in a way that is authentic is a big deal to me. It's one of my biggest values. I find nothing more disturbing in my life than feeling pressured to respond in a way that's not genuine. So after hearing these, some of very crazy stories, you might be wondering, why did you become a pastor? Well, I've found that like most good things in life, it starts with a trip to Robert Moses Beach. <laughs> Have you ever been to Robert Moses Beach? It's gorgeous. Beach out near Long Island. Most nice days of the summer, John and I, well, not most nice days, our days off. <laughs> Got to clarify that. On our days off, if it's weather's nice, we like to go to Robert Moses Beach. Being near the ocean is something that's really spiritual for me. And I can feel my soul awakening, even on the trip to the beach, because it's such a thing that helps me to feel alive and like God is near. So it was on the Long Island Railroad, headed to Babylon, that I took my first step towards becoming your community pastor. I had a cup of coffee. I was sharing an egg sandwich with John. We both had these great books we were anxious to read. My book was The Jesuit's Guide to Almost Everything. Now, as I say that title out loud, I realize it doesn't sound like a fun book. <laughs> and that's true. I'm usually reading murder mysteries on the beach. But there was something about this book that I felt so drawn to and really excited about it. And as I started reading the book, there were just different sections that caught my eye and just filled me with this excitement and inspiration all throughout the book. And each time I would, I would read one, I'd go, John, John, read this, read this. And by the end of our train ride, John had a bruised side and had not read much of his own book. But I was really inspired. So parts of the book that really caught my eye were the parts where the author would talk about conversations he had with someone called a spiritual director. And I had never heard of that before, no idea what it was. But when I would read these conversations, I would think, that's what I'm wired to do. I'm going to read you one of these conversations. This is a part where um, the author 
recounts a conversation he had with his spiritual director named David. One afternoon in my spiritual direction session, I was struggling with the news of some family problems, but I was purposefully avoiding the topic since it had nothing to do with my spiritual life. David sat in his rocking chair, sipping his ever-present cup of coffee, and listened attentively. After a few minutes, he sat down his mug, and he said, Is there something you're not telling me? Sheepishly, I told him how worried I was about my family. But wasn't I supposed to be talking about spiritual things instead? Jim, he said, it's all a part of your spiritual life. You can't put a part of your life in a box, stick it on a shelf, and pretend it's not there. You have to open up the box and trust that God will help you look at what's inside. Nothing has to be feared. Nothing has to be hidden away. Everything can be opened up before God. And when I read this passage, I knew that this was something God was leading me to. Conversations like this. I felt like I had stumbled upon an authentic way of leading and pastoring that was genuine for me, that fit my wiring and gifting and fit the vision of the river. And once I discovered it, I found myself springing into action. I enrolled in general seminary. I began studying spiritual direction. And once God helped me see that I'm wired to help others connect to God, help them to see God at life in their work, in their everyday home life, and that this was a spiritually valid way to lead people, that I didn't have to follow some stereotype I had in my mind, I felt this wonderful liberation. I felt free to step into a new role, and the more I step into it, and the more I embrace it, the more fun it is. From encouraging our group leaders and modeling how to lead an authentic group, to leading classes that encourage people to face relational and emotional issues, to one-on-one -on -one conversations, the more I step into it, the more fun I'm having. But there's times when people expect something else from me. There's times when people expect something else from Charles or Caroline or John or their group leader. And it's something maybe more similar to what they've experienced in the past. And I wonder if you could relate to that. Because there's times in our life when we desire external affirmation of what we're feeling internally. This can help us feel more certain about our spiritual life. Faith and spirituality is vulnerable. It's a deep, personal part of who we are. And we have fears of not getting it right. Fears of being left out. Fears of being on the wrong track. Fears of God rejecting us. And when we're riddled with those feelings, it can feel strangely good to hear someone confirm that what you fear is true. You are missing the mark. I am. You are denying yourself. You're not denying yourself enough. You don't love enough. You sin too much. You don't care enough. 
We don't do enough. And it rings true because it does confirm our greatest fears and worries. And somehow we begin to think that we need to feel shame and guilt in order to grow in our faith. Telling people how we think they should live, where they're missing the mark, saying things that bring about feelings of guilt and shame doesn't lead people to a fuller life or a deeper friendship with Jesus. What friendship in your life functions well under those situations? At the river, we're committed to helping people interact with God and experience his loving kindness because we believe that's the path that brings about life-giving perspective and direction in people's life. That's New Covenant faith. Let's take a look at this verse in Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This new covenant promise that God is present and active in our lives and doing loving, kind work in us that leads us to good things is new covenant faith. And no one's excluded from it, each and every person without exception. And we can trust that God will do this. I believe the biggest gift we can give someone is to help them recognize God's presence in their life. You know, that's radically different by telling someone the way they should live or the choices they should make. Even if you're 100% certain that what you're telling them is absolutely right. I know that years before that train ride to the beach, when I started to see where Jesus was leading me, the people closest to me in my life already knew. They knew years before I did that I was a pastor. And Charles could have said, come on, Sarah, step up. God is leading you in this way. I can see it. Get with the program. Or Caroline could have had words for me or Bible verses for me. And maybe I would have responded. I would have just moved forward because I wanted to do the right thing. But I'm so grateful they didn't do that. Instead, they asked me honest questions, ones that didn't try to lead me to the right answer. They shared their perspective with me 
but they also let me explore how I was feeling and what I was doubting without telling me how I should feel. They trusted me, and they trusted God to work it out. And during this process, I found that responding to God is so different than doing something because you think it's the right thing. When I caught on to what God was doing in me, I was filled with excitement and energy, and it gave me motivation and desires to do things I would not have done before, like take classes at seminary. I was filled with energy and life instead of the weight of obligation. It brought me freedom to live a fuller life. As I've always felt self-imposed pressure to have all the answers. I felt the burden of being responsible to fix everyone's problems and frustrations. And now I'm finding freedom in meeting with someone and focusing on loving listening and life-giving questions that help people increase their awareness of God's presence in their life. And I'm so thrilled I've stumbled upon a model of pastoring that takes the focus off of me and puts it on God. And I felt personally encouraged to run towards the questions of life instead of holding on to easy answers. And I'm finding God in the questions and realizing the answers aren't as, poor, as important as I thought they were. So that's been my story of God intervening in my life and taking me to a better place. And we've heard so many amazing stories through this sermon series, week after week after week. And I hear more of these stories during the week as I talk to people. And we do have another story today, but she is one of the lucky who has left the city. <laughs> so I'm going to be reading her story on her behalf. Her name is Angie. When I first began to meet for spiritual direction, I didn't really understand what it was, but it sounded really great. I get to meet one-on-one -on -one with a pastor who will listen to me, and this is something she actually wants to do. I'm sold. An appointment to take care of myself and focus on myself once a month with a pastor sounded so lovely. It's now been two years, and I have been so graciously cared for and loved in this way. It's been a special time for me to say out loud and explore what I'm working through. I call these times game changers because I leave feeling energized to move forward in my life. In spiritual direction, my life shifts course. My thoughts shift course because the living God breaks through. All the ways that I would spin my wheels processing things or hear what others think about how I process things stops, and I change course. I believe that I leave seeing how God sees things a bit better. I've been struggling to hear my own voice. I have trouble making decisions, and it's hard for me to figure out what I want. But these times together, I enter the picture enter into the picture as much as God does. With space and a listening ear, I feel that I emerge with a better sense of what God is doing with me. Not how God is telling me what to do, but I feel more supported in my partnership with God. I would love for God just to tell me what to do. 
I would love people to tell me what to do and make my life easy. If it turned out fine by me listening to everyone else, well, I'm the type of person who would like that. But I know I'm much more valuable than that. My thoughts mean something to God, and so does my autonomy and my life. I'm learning this in this season of my life, and one of my biggest sources of support in moving along and leading has been my spiritual direction sessions. Even as I think about being in community with all of you, I appreciate that this is a church space where we give each other the freedom to grow with God. We listen to each other, and we strive to give each other the space to work out our own narratives with God. We don't try to interfere by imposing our own judgments and stories on each other. In this way, spiritual direction almost feels what community looks like at the micro level. Spaces to listen and challenge each other by inviting God to perhaps shift the course of our thoughts and lives for the better. Isn't that awesome? Angie, if you're listening online, thank you so much for sharing. I love that story. I love seeing stories like that unfold. And as your pastor, that's what really excites me. I get to see those stories in real time. I see people from all walks of life discovering the offer of intimate friendship that Jesus is initiating with all of us. I love creating space that helps people step forward in the adventure that lies ahead by moving into the awareness of God from our head to our heart. So, to boil this all down for you, Here's our aim for encouraging you in your spiritual growth at the river, whether it's on Sundays or in groups or one-on-one. Here's what we want to do. The first is to help you notice God's presence in your life as opposed to directing you to a predetermined path. Second, to help you respond to God as opposed to challenging you to do the right thing. And the third, to help you get comfortable with difficult questions, as opposed to handing out pat answers. Growth starts when the awareness of God in our everyday life increases. So here's an experiment I invite you to try this week. Try spending one day or one afternoon or one hour with the assumption that God is with you, not silently observing, but doing good on your behalf. I'm going to end with a quote by Alan Jones. The art of spiritual direction lies in uncovering the obvious in our lives and in realizing that everyday events are the means by which God tries to reach us. All along, we've had a spiritual life, and we didn't even know it. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are here with us for this time together as a community. And God, I pray that you would increase our awareness 
of your active, living presence in our life. That you would give us the supernatural ability to notice it and to respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen.